Good morning. Good morning, America. This is your host, Mark, with The Daily Answer. And sometimes we just need to sit back as Christians and be grateful for what I call the good hand, the real good hand that we've been given to play. I am I am grateful that there are certain things that I don't have to defend or justify. For example, I'm glad I don't have to defend atheism, that that's not my job. I know there was an atheist that told people when it came to the question of like, well, what's the meaning? What's the purpose of life? He said, don't, don't, don't even ask that question. Don't think about that question. Just enjoy today. Okay, but that's not that doesn't address the issue because everyone does ask the question what's the purpose of life what is it all about what's next why are we here who am i everyone asks those questions people have been asking those questions from the beginning of time to tell people not to ponder that uh, is not an honest answer because it's almost like telling people not to breathe and not to eat that's what we do the very fact that we that everyone has that question to me is a really strong argument that we are indeed made in the image of god genesis 1 26 to 28 with eternity in our heart ecclesiastes 3 11. and we have to ask the question what's it all about who are we am i fulfilling life's mission and purpose am i doing what i need to be doing here I'm glad I don't have to work around that issue. I, I, I'm glad that the hand that I was given to play as a Christian is I can play it honestly. I don't have to divert attention. And so sometimes as a Christian, just kind of sit back and, and ponder what you don't have to defend, what you don't have to justify. As a member of the Lord's Church, um, there's nothing that I believe in practice where I have to do mental gymnastics around Bible verses. What I believe is found in clear verses, what I practice is found in clear verses, whether it's meeting on the first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7, the command to meet and encourage others, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, the command to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, Acts 2.38, that Jesus is head over all things to the church, Ephesians 1, 20 through 23, or countless other issues like that. Um, there's nothing I have to stretch. And that there, there's no verses that I have to manipulate or take a hammer to to make them fit in a certain spot. Not only that, but nothing that uh, I believe as a Christian, as a member of the Church of Christ, demands a weird interpretation or some out-in-the-weeds translation of a certain verse. Not only that, we don't need to have our own Bible. We don't have our own Bible. That What I mean by that is, obviously, I have my own personal Bible and a couple of them. But as members of the Church of Christ, we don't have a specific Church of Christ translation. That kind of backs up what we believe. What we believe can be found in virtually any translation out there. Um, 
you can find the plan of salvation that we teach in the Catholic Bible in their translation. And so what I believe and practice does not depend on me using one specific translated that was <laughs> that was done to kind of back us up. I can use the King James, the New King James, the English Standard, the Revised Standard, the New American Standard, the American Standard, etc. Uh, to find what I believe and practice. And so I'm not in a group in which I'm called upon to get around the deity of Christ. I'm glad that's not my job to get around the fact that Jesus is divine. Because the Bible says he is. John 1.1. 1, 1. Again, be grateful that you're not given the task of doing mental gymnastics around the verse. That you can just accept the verse at face value and deal with it honestly. And I don't have to try to wiggle around and work around the doctrine of hell. And neither do I have to justify the claim that the Bible's been corrupted. Particularly when we have clear passages where Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Or where the Bible is called incorruptible seed. 1 Peter chapter 1, 23 through 26. Or the old or, or the, the track record of God that when Jesus shows up in the first century, the Old Testament's not been corrupted. It was the word of God right down to the smallest letter and mark of punctuation. Matthew chapter 5, 18 through 19. Also, nothing that I believe depends that I put all my faith in a man, like one person or a group of men, or a group of men and women, or just a group of individuals. But rather, my faith is not in men. Rather, my faith is in God, and the faith once for all delivered. Jude 3. My faith is in Scripture, what the Holy Spirit has revealed. In addition, I don't have to teach or defend something in which there's a plain verse in the Bible that says the opposite. How frustrating and embarrassing to argue that baptism does not save, which a number of religious people do, and spend a lot of energy on it. And the arguments on that one keep evolving. But the problem is, is that 1 Peter 3.21 says, baptism now saves you. I would be very uncomfortable being given the task to argue that baptism does not save when there is a clear passage that says it does. You know, how are we going to get around that one? And so that's kind of where you spend your lifetime. Argue. That's where the Bible has become your enemy. And you're arguing with it. And you're trying to disprove it in that passage. Or some people say you can't fall from grace. But Galatians 5, 4 said you've fallen from grace. Some people say that we're saved by faith alone. But then you have to deal with James 2, 24 through 26, among many other passages. But that passage is the passage that says that we're not saved by faith alone. Man is not justified by faith alone. I'm glad that I have not been given the task or assuming the position where now James 2 is an enemy. And I want to get rid of it. And I don't like reading that chapter. And I don't like those verses. 
how freeing, how freeing just to come to the Bible and every passage is a friend. None of the passages are foes. And I'm going to celebrate and rejoice in every passage I read. I'm going to obey it. I'm going to accept it. And I'm not trying to argue around any of it. Now, I know there are people out there that say that, well, here's what you do to become a Christian. You let Jesus into your heart and then you say the sinner's prayer to be saved. The trouble with that, when you're teaching that, and if, if you're teaching that, and if you actually obeyed that, that's what you did. To me, the thing that would really bother my conscience is there are just no verses that say that. I can't point to a single verse in the New Testament that ever were, and when were, anyone was ever told to say the printer's, sinner's prayer to become a Christian. And actually, there is no sinner's prayer that is that prayer does not even exist in your New Testament. Or this idea of just let Jesus into your heart. People are not told that. They, uh, that's not in the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not going to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and then have them say the sinner's prayer. It's, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16. On the day of Pentecost, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 2.38. When Saul of Tarsus, Ananias shows up, why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Acts 22.16. No one, whether it's the eunuch in Acts 8 or the jailer or Lydia or the Corinthians or the Samaritans or the people on Pentecost, no one is ever told to, well, just let Jesus into your heart and say the sinner's prayer. Man, that would bother me. That would really put my salvation in doubt. And, and, and I would definitely question it is, okay, here's what I did to become a Christian. The trouble is I can't find that in black and white. I can't find anyone in the New Testament being told that to become a Christian or to have their sins forgiven. I just can't find that. Now, I can find something else. <laughs> I can find people told to believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. I can find that. Yeah, that would bother me. So, I, I know, I know, the world is not flocking to the truth. I know that, but, but it never has. The world did not flock to Jesus. The world did not flock to the prophets in the Old Testament. And the world did not flock to Noah, even though Noah was preaching the truth. The world has never flocked to the truth, but many people are. Just this morning, I heard about two new congregations that were started in Honduras. People are coming to the truth, though. So be grateful. Sit back and be grateful sometime. Don't feel sorry for yourself. Be grateful that you can study and teach the Bible and that that's your emphasis rather than having to put a lot of effort in getting around what the Bible says. That's exhausting. I am so glad that the hand I have been dealt, that I was given, was not a hand of trying to get around Bible verses for the rest of my life. Trying to ignore Bible verses. Oh, well, we're not going to talk about that subject. We're not going to talk about that subject. Okay, yeah. It's a Bible subject. We should be able to talk about it. There's something else. I, I am glad I'm not a member of a denomination because 
one of the real problems with that is when you read your Bible, you cannot read about that. You cannot read about that denomination in the Bible. I can't find the Catholic Church or any of its unique teachings in the Bible. And I've read the Bible many times. Uh, There are no qualifications for the Pope. There's no mention of the Pope. There's no office. I mean, I find bishops, overseers, shepherds, elders. I find that. And I find specific qualifications for that office like they are married men that have children that believe. First Timothy 3 and Titus 1, I find that. I find that each congregation had its own elders or overseers or bishops. Acts 14, verse 23 and 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 3. I find that even Peter was an elder, a fellow elder, which means that he was a married man, had a wife with children that believe to be qualified. I can find all that. I can't find a human head of the church in the Bible. Rather, I find that Jesus is said to be head over all things to the church. Ephesians 1, 20 through 23. And I'm not a Mormon, so I don't have to get around Galatians 1, 6 to 9. Book of Mormon claims to be a revelation from God given by an angel. Claims to be another gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet Galatians 1, 6 to 9 says that if an angel were to show up and give you another gospel, you are accursed if you accept that. And so, man, that, that would be that that would take your lifetime working around that passage. That's that's a clear passage. And not only that, but I, I know Mormonism teaches that. Well, the Bible's been corrupted, but here's the thing that would bother me. And and they would teach that the Bible's been corrupted. So the Book of Mormon is the uh, the update or the, the, the pure version. Well, wait a minute. If God could not keep the Bible from being corrupted, how can I have any confidence in his ability to keep his supposed next revelation pure? Particularly because the Book of Mormon had all sorts of mistakes in it when it came out. And has been revised countless times. So yeah, I'm I'm glad I don't have those things in my lurking back in my mind. Like okay, here's here's what I believe in practice. But number one, I can't find that in the Bible. Or number two, I find the exact opposite in the Bible. Yeah, I know people are not flocking to the truth. But as I noted, they never have. But just be mindful that, yeah, there are groups out there that have a lot of people, but they also come with a lot of baggage. And I would rather have the truth. I would rather have a good hand to play. That is, just teach the truth and live the truth. And where the Bible's my friend and not my foe. This is Mark Dunnigan for The Daily Answer. Until next time. We'll see you in those funny papers.